Hello, everybody. So here's a question for you if you're thinking about reinventing. What did you like to do for fun when you were 10? Think about that for a minute. Write down an idea or two because you're definitely going to want to know that for this next conversation. Who do you envy and not just admire? It's really the word envy. And what this next guest says is, because envy is something you want, but in a painful way. And then the third question is, what do you do in your free time? What are you actually doing? Write down some of those things that you do, whether it's doodling or cooking or whatever, because Gretchen Rubin, who I call the happiness lady, is giving us those steps. That is how she organizes her life to figure out what it is that she wanted to do for her reinvention. And she says those are the steps that she tells people to take when they say that they're stuck and they want to figure out what they want to do. So we'll go into more of that in this conversation with Gretchen Rubin, who you probably know from her podcast, which is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin or The Happiness Project, um, which she launched over 10 years ago. And now she has a new book coming out, which is called Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter and Organize to Make Room for Happiness. And we're going to talk a lot about why organization is so important to us these days. And it's not just so you can be more efficient. We think that there is a psychological reason behind everybody's moving toward that today. And what's completely fascinating is to learn that Gretchen started out in law, but she says for all the wrong reasons, she was the editor-in-chief of the Law Journal. She was clerking for Justice O'Connor, but it was not right for her. So this is a wonderful, really interesting conversation that takes us to her founding principle, too, about why people stay stuck or people reinvent. And what's really interesting is she says successful people are often willing to do the things that unsuccessful people are not. How do you like that? And I think that's true. Sometimes you have to do the work that is unpleasant. And the difference is the people who do the work and the people who don't. So here we go with the wonderful Gretchen Rubin, or as I call her, the happiness lady. So hello, Gretchen. It's been so long. We've been trying to get you for a while. We're really excited to have you on Reinvent Yourself. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Great. So let's talk. Oh, my God. You're probably one of the biggest reinventors out there that people <laughs> know about, right? And I, you did it a long time ago. So talk about that most recent reinvention, and then we'll back up to others, because I know you're a serial reinventor. Uh, yeah, well, my most recent reinventor is probably becoming a podcaster, which now was four years ago. Four uh, years ago. Wow. Yeah, I launched a podcast with my sister, who's my co-host, um, Elizabeth Kraft. And yeah, we'd never done anything like that before. It's interesting, though, for years, we'd always said we, we really are very close. At, she's a writer, too. She's a TV writer. And for years, wow. we were saying... We should have a, t a radio show together, you know, just right. our own brilliant thoughts. And then when I was approached and said, oh, would you like to start a podcast? Um, 
I said, yes, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. And I said, well, do you have an idea for someone who might co-host it with you? And I thought, aha, this is the moment we've been waiting for. I said, I think I would love to do it with my sister. And so I, I went to her and I said, this could be a huge public failure. Are, are you ready for that? And she's like, uh -huh, absolutely. This will be so fun. And it has been just, it's been so fun professionally for both of us. She right. also has another podcast now. She liked it so much. Oh. Hollywood. Um, but then also we just have all these sisterly adventures now together and we're bound together in, in, in a, in just a whole new and different way. So um, it was a wonderful, wonderful reinvention. That's great. So tell me the name of the podcast that she's doing and yours so people can find it and talk a little bit about how you engineered that to be so successful because you're really one of the earlier ones and uh, it's quite large, right? It is quite large. So my the podcast I do with Elizabeth is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And uh, it's all about how to be happier, spoiler mm -hmm. alert. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a weekly podcast. We haven't, we've never missed a, de a week. We're very vain about that. Oh, and then okay. every month, that's the main one. And then every, that's on Wednesday. And every Monday I have like a three minute called a little happier. That's just like a little story that I tell that has kind of a lesson. That's mm. really fun. And then the podcast, she, she has a long-term writing partner because she's a TV, big TV writer, producer, showrunner in LA. So that's called Happier in Hollywood. Um, oh, I haven't happier seen in Hollywood. Okay, yeah. Happier in yeah, Hollywood. Is that possible? Is that an oxymoron? Yeah, no, it is possible, but you do have to work at it. It's like Hollywood has all the same problems that everybody else has, but they're just more exaggerated um, because everybody there is just so truly nuts. A doodle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, every encounter, I have to say, the one thing about leaving magazines that I don't miss is the whole Hollywood boogie. Yeah, yeah. It was awful. I really wished for my whole career that models would have sold again because they were easy to deal with compared to the Hollywood thing. Well, it's funny. My sister said, I call her my sister the sage because she's so wise. And she said, everything you've heard about Hollywood is more true than you could possibly mm. imagine. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I mean, yes. Um, in order to get a cover girl I wanted at one point, I actually had to take a, whose handbag? It was a big designer, Balenciaga handbag. Buy it at Barney's and slip it under the table to the PR person without a word. Wow. Um, during lunch. That was my, that was my Russian spy moment. Wow. <laughs> and it got okay. me the cover. Okay. Yeah. What it takes. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, good. Okay. So, and is your sister older, younger? And she's five years younger than I am. Five years younger. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So when, uh, when we started the podcast, I had a huge advantage in that because I had been writing, uh, for many years, I had had a blog. I don't even know, gosh, when did I start now? 2008. Um, I had a whole way. I had lots of ways of reaching an audience and telling mm -hmm. people about the podcast. Cause as mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the big problem now with anything that you create is how does mm -hmm. anybody even know it's there? There's yes. so much noise. It's so hard to break through that. Yep. It might be that somebody would love it, but they just don't know about it. And it's very hard to reach them. That's and right. so I just had this advantage because I was already in the practice of having ways to connect with people who are interested in my subject, which is wow. really human nature, happiness, good habits, this personality profile that I developed, like all the things that we were going to talk about on the podcast, I could tell people about it who were likely to, to be interested to at least right. consider listening to it. Right. So let's talk about your original reinvention and just give me a short 
a short um, thing so people can understand where did you come from? What did you study? Right. And then how did you segue into this? And how the hell did you get into the happiness beat? Were you always like the happiest person in school or were you unhappy? And that's why you decided you had to do this. I was like most people, I was pretty happy. I was mm -hmm. neither super exuberant but or, or melancholic. Most people mm -hmm. around the world say they're pretty happy or very mm -hmm. happy. Um, so I started my career in law uh, oh. and for all the wrong reasons, it's a great, uh, you know, it'll keep my options open. It's a great education. I'm good at research and writing. It prepares me for a lot of things. And I had a great experience in law. I was editor in chief of the law journal at Yale Law School. I was clerking for Justice uh, Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Oh wow! Uh, when I realized that I actually wanted to be a writer, I got an idea for a book that I really, really wanted to write. And I and, and, and throughout my life, I get very, very preoccupied with certain issues and questions, and I'll do a tremendous amount of research and writing and taking notes. And at that point, I was very interested in what seemed to me one subject: power, money, fame, sex. And I was, <laughs> that was researching <laughs> and taking notes. And then finally it occurred to me, this is the kind of thing a person would do if they were going to write a book about it. I could write a book. And I, and I so I ran out to the bookstore and, and got a book called something like how to write and sell your nonfiction book proposal mm -hmm. and followed the directions. And that makes it much easier, sound much easier than it was, but that's basically what happened. And then I just, I decided, you know what, I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So let me see if I can make a go of it in, in writing. And then I never, I never uh, switched back to law, stopped paying my bar fees. Um, yeah, became a writer. Wow. And most writers today, it's not so easy and they're struggling and they're not necessarily making it. So how come you're making it and everybody else is struggling so much? Because again, what you say, there's so much clutter, there's so much noise. How do you, how do you get out there? Or do you feel like you established yourself before the clutter sort of descended on us? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, it, it has changed tremendously over time because the whole book industry has changed. The whole media yes. landscape has changed yes. overwhelmingly. And the kind of things that you're fighting people's attention for have changed. Right. Um, I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to write books or create a podcast or whatever that I think people will be interested in. And I right. think some people are, they're not very good at that. They're not good at communicating. I mean, just on a most basic level. Um, sometimes they don't really know what they're trying to say. Sometimes they're not really willing to do everything that a person needs to do to succeed. I mean, this isn't true anymore, but there was a time when the internet was just growing and I knew many writers and I had a website and a blog and the whole thing. I was an early adopter of all that because I was so eager to find ways to connect with an audience. I had mm -hmm. had a book called 40 ways to look at JFK that really flopped. And 40 they, ways to look at JFK? Yes, yes. And I had written a book called 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill. So this was like, oh. I was hoping to do kind of a series of these biographies. Okay. And in publishing, when your book doesn't succeed, they okay. say it failed to find its audience. That's the delicate right, way that they right, put it. Right, right, and, right. And from that experience, I thought, I need a way to find my audience. I can't let, I can't uh -huh. wait for other people to find my audience. I need to be able to connect with my audience. And so I was very early once the once all the technology got easy enough, like starting a blog got easy enough that a non-techie person like me could do it, I saw why it could be really, really uh, fruitful and important. And also my subject is one where it's really valuable for me to hear what people are saying and their thoughts and their insights and their observations and their examples. So there was a million reasons for me to do it. Um, and but there was a time where I knew a lot of writers who were like, you know, my publisher is telling me I should have an author website, but they're not paying for that. 
I'm not Uh getting paid for that. I'm not, Uh you know, that's like extra credit. Uh huh. And so part of it is really like kind of keeping up with, well, do you have to be on Instagram? Like maybe you don't Mm want to be, maybe you don't have to be, but Mm -hmm. you at least have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Stuff like that. So it it really is doing the things that you may not want to do to get yourself out there and um, find your audience. And and probably now even more true, right? Well, I remind myself that in any field, you know, successful people are often willing to do things that unsuccessful people just aren't willing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to do it, then it's just, it's not what you want, you know, but mm-hmm. sometimes it, it is like, like they're just, there's, just additional things that are required. I mean, public speaking is one of them. Some Uh people really don't like to public speak, Mm -hmm. to do public speaking. Mm -hmm. For some people, it doesn't really matter whether they do it or don't. For some people, Mm -hmm. it really would be a major benefit to them if they would feel more comfortable with it. So do they want to do what it would take to get more comfortable with it? Can you give me an example, a very specific example of, say, two things that you did that you really detest that you do because you knew this was really important? Well, I don't do anything I really detest because I, okay. I, 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 you know, I do what I want. Like that's, that's my great thing. Uh, I can think about what I want. If I want, if something's boring to me, I leave it out. Like a lot of my books, I'm like, this part's really boring. Do I have to talk about that? I'm like, I don't. Cause I write uh-huh. it's interesting to me. So I only, do uh-huh. I don't make myself do something that I detest, but I do things that are hard that make me okay. feel stupid and insecure and that I have to spend a lot of time or, or, you know, uh, learn a whole new skill set like podcasting or I mean I remember with starting a blog it was like I did it because within the the experiment of the happiness project which was all like a big experiment on me as a guinea pig I was like I need to do something novel and challenging and I thought well this will be novel and challenging I never write short I don't like you know like a journalist I always write long books I don't like the feeling of being out in public like this I, I'm super untechnical I don't know I don't even know what like a you know what a what a, anything is i don't know any of the http what i uh-huh, uh-huh, um mm-hmm. it was all very frustrating um and anxiety provoking um mm-hmm. i couldn't comforted myself with the thought that no one would ever read the blog so it didn't matter if, if it were bad and i would i was like i'll try for like a month and then i'm sure it won't make me happier so then i'll shut it down but oh whoops it made me happier so then mm. i did it um, mm. so those are two things where it's not that I detested them, but um, I, I certainly found them extremely intimidating and challenging. I felt a lot of dread, mm. felt a lot of anxiety. I just recorded a pledge show for PBS and I had to do the whole thing like with an audience and teleprompters and four cameras and that thing in your ear, I, mm-hmm. IFB or IBF, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. where they're speaking to you. And mm-hmm. I was like, I, I just for, di- for weeks and weeks and weeks, they, those dates were just in my head is like blocking out the sun is like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, this is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And then it was fine. It was totally mm-hmm. fine. If I had to do it again, I would feel much less anxious. Mm-hmm. Had to do everything the first time, mm-hmm. you know, so I prepared as best I could and, and it went fine, you know? So that was, but that was like the kind of thing where you feel, you feel it coming closer every yes. day. <laughs> yes. And you're <laughs> yeah. not happy about it. Yeah. And that morning I was like, all I have to remember is that by the time I get back into bed tonight, it'll be over. Oh, yeah. very good. So people really have to push themselves and do things that they don't necessarily want to do. Yep. And what about, do you assign out stuff that you don't want to do? Do you find 
people who know how to do it better than you and that's how you get rid of the anxiety or do you really push yourself to to learn it all and do it all? Well, that's a great question. I have a lot of trouble delegating and I think that's one of the most okay. important skills for all of us is to delegate and actually every year I, I make a theme for the year. And two years ago, my theme was delegation because I was like, I really have to get better at this because mm -hmm. it's limiting my success. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do mm -hmm. everything myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I do think that when you are delegating, it's useful if you yourself know at least a rudimentary amount about how you, how it's done. Mm -hmm. Because like the fact is now, like if I, we, when I did a big redesign of my website, oh my gosh, that was way beyond my capacity. Mm -hmm. But way, way back in the day, you know, when it was like the, 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 like most popsicle stick and Elmer's glue thing, mm -hmm. I did build it myself. And I oh. think, I think that helps me now understand it, even though it's far beyond my capacity, because mm -hmm. I kind of get what it was, what it's like to be, have that mindset. So I do think it's, it's good not to just like think, okay, I don't have to worry about this because it's somebody mm -hmm. else's problem. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's very, very important. Okay. So we don't want to think it's someone else's problem. Okay. Um, so why happiness? How did you stumble across happiness? I mean, it's hilarious before I knew you well, be like that happiness lady. And I'm sure mm -hmm. that's, um, how you become known around, <laughs> around the country, around yeah. the world. How did you become the happiness lady? Yeah, I know. And it's a nice thing to be. Um, right. I, well, I mentioned that my book, I was just finishing up my book, 40 Ways to Look at JFK. And as a writer, there's a time where your book is, finished in terms of your role, but it hasn't come out into the public yet. And so there's a little bit of this downtime. And for me, that's often a time where I have kind of this new creative bandwidth that's opening up because I'm kind of not occupied in a new subject quite yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm, and I'm, I, my work is almost done with, with a book that's about to come out. And so I, and I was stuck on a crowded bus in the pouring rain <laughs> in Manhattan. And I looked out the window and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, I want to be happy. And I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. And I thought I should do a happiness project. And I ran out the next day, got a giant stack of books from the library and started researching happiness. Can you make yourself happier? How could I make myself happier? And at first it was just for me. It was just something that I mm -hmm. was doing because I was really interested in it. Mm -hmm. As I said, I often do things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but then it was so rich and fascinating. I just couldn't come to the end of it. So I thought, oh, well, I'll make this my next book. And mm -hmm. then indeed, I've never left that subject, really. Wow, that's so interesting. And each one starts for you with deep research. So you are clerking for yourself. Yes, yeah, no, research is really how I get my ideas. And, and by the time I'm ready to start a book, I will have hundreds of pages of notes on the subject. So I never, I never face a blank screen because I'm always like, I have so much notes and then at a certain point I'm like, you know, I really need to organize these notes. And you know, I really have started to see how I have my own view on this and I disagree with this person or mm -hmm. I think this person gets it right or wrong. And then that's hmm. when it starts turning into a book. Hmm. And if you weren't doing books, so say if somebody's following this idea from you of, I have an idea, I'm gonna research deeply, I'm gonna organize my notes. We know that book publishing is really challenged today. How would you suggest that they go about putting it out there? Would they do a, a website? Would they do a blog? I mean, is there a new version of that if you're a big researcher and you want to turn your idea outward? Well, the nice thing about putting it 
as a blog is that then you begin to connect with people who are interested in your subject. And that's often very fruitful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or even following the people who are in that subject, like on Twitter, where you can get a sense of like, where's the discussion? Who are the, who are the voices who are weighing in? Who do you agree with? Who do you consider kind of, uh, your people? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so hard to say because everyone's subject is different. Everyone's audience is different. Everybody's mm-hmm. communication style is different. Some people might really like to have a podcast cause they're talking. Mm-hmm. Other people don't want mm-hmm. that. They want to write. Um, there's a, I think, but I think you have to do your research because sometimes people just, they haven't acquainted themselves at all with sort of the professional requirements of doing something. And you really, Mm -hmm. you can't skip that. Like people say to me like, Oh, I've done Mm -hmm. the hard part. I wrote the book. Now Mm -hmm. I just need to publish it. Do I send it to my, to my favorite Mm -hmm. publisher? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, there's so many things wrong with that statement. Mm -hmm. You got to read an online article um, because you'll understand that you, you, you have to understand how book publishing works. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's one of the steps that people miss. They get their idea and then they're moving on from there. Right. And I think people often overestimate how original an idea is. Ah. They don't look around to see what, who else is doing it. Ah. I hear this a lot of times with people, because people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, I'm writing this book about X, Y, Z. Now I read mm-hmm. a lot of weird stuff. I read very uh-huh. broadly. And I'll say, oh, is it kind of like this book or this book? And they're like, oh, I, ha- I haven't read those books. And oh I'm my like, God. you don't sound like you know what you're talking about. If like I, as just a random bystander, can see that you fit into kind of like this section of stuff and you don't know about it. Like, oh, I'm going to wow. talk about how technology is making it hard for children to study and concentrate. I'm like, you're not the only one writing about that. You know? Right. So, yeah. Right. So, so research, find your place in the world, understand how the larger ecosystem works. So talk a little bit about your current book and what you have coming out, which is why we're talking now and how that differs or does it differ in your approach to reinvention? Um, How does this sort of proceed you along the way? Or are you kind of reinvented and stopped at this point? Or how how do you look at reinvention going forward? Uh, well, my new book is really much, uh, it's one of a, one of the sets. So really, if you look at all my books, all my books, all the way back to the beginning, they're really about human nature. That's my subject. That's what fascinates me. So there's habits, mm-hmm. there's good habits. Um, and, but one thing that has surprised me ever since the Happiness Project came out 10 years ago is that whenever people talked about outer order, or anything related to outer order, decluttering, organizing, possessions, mm-hmm. there's this extra emotional charge. Like whenever I would talk about making your bed, it's like you could just tell that there was a particular energy to this that surprised me because in the context of a happy life, something like a crowded coat closet or a messy desk is trivial, clearly. Mm-hmm. And yet people feel like when they get control of the stuff of their lives, they get more in control of their lives generally. So I was really, I'd always been interested in this. And I decided I wanted to write like a fun, playful book, kind of a psych up book about Mm -hmm. outer order. So it's about why outer order does bring inner calm for most people, not for everybody. Some people truly are clutter blind, like my sister, Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) co-host. That's so funny. but But then, but for most people it is. So it's like, but then how do you get it and how do you maintain it? So this is a book where 
it's just a bunch of ideas, like more than 150, just different things you can try. So mm -hmm. you just, you go read through it. You pick the ones that appeal to you. Certainly, usually people are like, I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And my hope for the book and what does seem to be happening now that the book is starting to sneak out into the world mm -hmm. is that people read part of it and then they just like throw it over their shoulders and like race to the medicine cabinet to clean mm -hmm. off some shelves. Hmm. Uh, I recorded the audio book and Later that night, my director emailed me a before and after of her office because after Hilarious. I left the recording, she was inspired to clean her office. And I'm like, that's what this book is supposed to be for. It's very quick, easy read. It's, it's very light. It's just meant to get you psyched up because for most people, they really just, for this kind of irrational reason, feel like, you know what, if I get rid of this small annoyance in my life, I'm better able to tackle life's bigger, bigger challenges. Here's a question for you. As a magazine editor, I saw the rise in the declutter cover mm -hmm. lines mm -hmm. um, appear after 9-11. Mm -hmm. And real simple, grab that, and it became their main mantra um, whenever we really couldn't use declutter because that's not what we did it more, but, um, or at Mary Claire. But uh, the other people around me in the, you know, the homekeeping, all that area. And I always felt there were two things going on. One was that it was a much easier thing. The world was so out of control yes. that yes. The, if I can control my sock yes. drawer, which always made me shocked that anybody would read about their sock drawer when all these things were going on. Yes. Um, I can't control the world, but I can control the sock drawer. Yes. And people were, became obsessed with that kind of control and it seems to have gone on for a very long time. And now you've got Maria Kondo mm -hmm. and now we've got Gretchen <laughs> doing her own thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like control is still a problem um, out there in the big world, even more so if you look at our politics and all that. Do you think yes. it has something to do with that? Obviously, if you've researched it, you'll have an opinion on that. No, absolutely. I think that's a big part of it. But I'm curious what your second one. I absolutely agree about your first one. Absolutely. What's your second one? Well, I just wondered if there are some people who never will be in control because that is not what they're looking for. I mean, as we know, if you've done a lot of psychotherapy, I mean, I joke because I did so much psychotherapy. I feel like most people, it would save them thousands and thousands of dollars if you went into the first session and the person said, yes, it's all about control. No, you can't control everything. See you. Um, because that's the way of the world and we can't accept it. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because a huge theme in my work is self-mastery and self-command, which are obviously related mm -hmm. to control. Mm -hmm. And my husband actually said about the happiness project, he said, I think this is all about you just trying to have control. Mm -hmm. um, and my four tendencies mm -hmm. framework, which is my personality framework that divides mm -hmm. people into four types. Mm -hmm. I'm clearly the type that called the upholder type, which is very focused on execution and puts a very high value on self-control and self-command. Mm -hmm. We can't control everything. Mm -hmm. There are some things that we can we can do a better job of, of controlling. And that's what my book, Better Than Before, which is all about habit change, which mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. you know, if you say, I cannot control my eating, what does mm -hmm. that mean exactly? So that book is a whole exploration of that. But I think mm -hmm. you're exactly right, that there is this desire for control, controlling what is within my power if I can't control the outer world, mm -hmm. bringing down the noise, everything's coming at me. There's so much, I feel so overwhelmed. Can I... If I'm overwhelmed by the news, can I at mm -hmm. least have peace on my bookshelf? 
But I also mm -hmm. think, and I'd be curious to hear what you think, I also think it's a demographic thing. I think there's yeah. a lot of people now who are in the season of stuff and they got it in all different directions. They got little kids who have tons of stuff. Mm -hmm. They have parents who are trying mm -hmm. to foist off you know, mm -hmm. giant eight foot armoires on them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's people who are trying to downsize um, or, you know, uh, real estate is expensive. So people are trying to maybe live in a smaller place, whereas they, if they could, they would have a bigger place. You know, there's just a lot of things just about the way we live in this moment of uh, generations where I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh my gosh, I, like, I, gotta, I gotta deal with my, my, my situation here. Do you see this moving? Obviously, we've been through the seven piece of clothing moment. We're, <laughs> yes. we're going through all of that kind of stuff. Do you see it as more just trendy or do you see people really moving into realizing that stuff doesn't make them happy and it's human relationships and connection that does and trying to get through that, that want of stuff towards the real connecting that is actually going to make them happy or do you see them still lost in the acquisition phase well it's very interesting because there is the rise of the sharing uh where yes. people don't feel like they have to own things they feel like yes. they can just borrow them yeah there's also there is a de-emphasis in certain things like i just read an article the other day about how millennials don't buy diamonds Yes. You know, the same way. Um, certainly we used to have things like, here's my giant CD collection. And yes. you, now you, that you don't have that. And uh, so there's a lot of things where, yeah, I think attitudes towards possessions have changed. Um, I do feel like possessions matter. Possessions, we do have emotional attachments to mm -hmm. possessions. Possessions mm -hmm. do remind us of the people, places, and activities that we love. They play an important role. Mm -hmm. So I am never one to say, like, stuff doesn't matter. You should get rid of everything. You'll be happier if you have less. That's mm -hmm. just not true for everyone. Mm -hmm. And some people love things. They love mm -hmm. beautiful things. They mm -hmm. appreciate them. They they uh, value them. They're curious about them. They, and they want to show them to other people. They want to talk about them. They want to buy mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. They love them. And I'm, I'm like, I'm a, they're simplicity lovers and abundance lovers. I'm a simplicity mm -hmm. lover, so I don't have that. But I don't think that I'm better because I see that in a way, abundance lovers have a life that's rich in a way that I don't, I don't tap into that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's any, I, I don't think one of us is better and one of us is worse. We just have different preferences. Different preferences. Different preferences. What? But, and you know, and uh, this thing about materialism, it's interesting. I really want to spend a lot of time thinking about materialism. Yeah. It seems to me like materialism, like who's materialistic? Who do mm -hmm. you know? You're like, there's a person who's really, to that person, everything has a reason that there mm -hmm. is a, there's a, I bought this because the craftsmanship on this is so breathtakingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. It just makes me happy every time I see it. Well, of course I'm going to get a new dining room table because I love to entertain. In my mm -hmm. old table, we could only sit six. Here we can sit 10. That's just so great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to buy a dog. Is it, mm -hmm. is it materialistic to buy a dog? Some people would probably say so. Some people would say, of course not. I mean, mm -hmm. so I think materialism is something that everybody thinks that other people have, but not yes. they and their friends aren't material. Yes, that's what I love. What about a, a, a last question here, and then we'll get on to our um, our final closing. But what about the whole digital detox and mm. making your life simpler? Because those are some of the experiments that I want to get involved with going mm. forward. I think I think there is a whole movement, and I think it's not stupid about how to reinvent your life so that you feel like you own it. The way these apps, you know, turning off your apps, taking your phone down to no notifications whatsoever. I mean. Do you, have you explored in that direction? 
Well, I think the thing to remember is that these are tools and technology is a wonderful servant, but a bad master. Mm. And if you feel like you are not the master of it, like you need to assert your, you know, you assert you are making decisions like this is if you're being notified all the time, you sort of have to say, okay, I'm not a passive person here. I need to Mm -hmm. figure out a way to turn off my notifications. Mm -hmm. Or if there's a soul, we talked about this on the happier podcast. Is there a soul crushing app? Delete it. If there's a game, you just feel like, like my sister, I don't, I never play games. I don't like games. I don't like any games. No games. There's no game that I want to play other than Uno. I like Uno. I don't play anything. Yeah. um, But but she was just playing it. And she's like, I realized that I wasn't having time to read novels because I was playing Jeez. this game. So it's like, delete it. And it was this whole <laughs> thing where like her son was like, you can do it. You can do it. Like, ah, you know, and so like, you know, take control or for some, here's a great little trick. I love this one because I'm obsessed uh-huh. with color. This is a thing that I'm super interested in is color. Um, one of the uh, things you can do, if you feel like you're very, very unable to turn your face away from your phone, uh, mm-hmm. turn it to grayscale. That's very easy to do in your settings. And then it'll just be a black, white, and gray. And you can still use it, but it's harder to use it because it's harder to visually uh, engage with it. That's what color does. It helps us navigate visual oh. Uh, information. Oh. And it just doesn't look good. It's like watching a black and white TV instead of a color HD TV. It's just like, it's just, it's just not as much fun. You're not Where is the grayscale setting? It's in there in your settings? Yeah, it's it's in grayscale? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look. I yeah, and you can do you it. And that. then there's a there's a shortcut where you just hit um, three times uh, the button and it just goes to grayscale. This also works if you want your kid not to use it. You can oh, say, oh, it's broken. Interesting. Oh. And hand it to them. It's harder to stay interested. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but the thing to do is to realize like, I need to figure this out. You know, this isn't like, this isn't the, this isn't, the problem is not the technology. We are the problem. Right. This is a tool for us. Right. 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 I myself don't feel overwhelmed by technology. I I don't really understand that. Um, But like my phone doesn't ring out loud and people are like, but what if there's an emergency? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, there's never been an emergency. And this way I never hear my phone ring. Sometimes that's inconvenient, but it also means like, I'm not distracted by my phone going off, which I don't want, you know? So Mm -hmm fascinating. Whew. Okay. Awesome discussion. So in closing, Miss Gretchen, yes. let's talk about, do you have one or two um, tips that, I mean, you've given a lot throughout the discussion here, but specific things that people could do to start a reinvention the way that you did. And I'm guessing it might be around the, do your, do your freaking research, right? <laughs> that's, that's a big one, but something, um, another point that I want to hit Mm-hmm. Is the part of the thing, sometimes when you want to reinvent yourself, you know that what you don't want to do, but what you don't know is what you do want. Yes. To do. And that's very right. painful because you're like, right. well, I know I don't want to be X anymore. I don't want to be an right. accountant anymore, but what do I want? So here are some, um, here are some questions I would say to ask yourself and I will, and then I'll explain why they work mm-hmm. for me. Okay. Okay. So, so if your question is, what do I like? What do I want? Where should I go? Ask yourself this, these three questions. First is, what did you like to do for fun when you were 10 years old? Oh, interesting. Because what you like to do when you were 10 for fun is probably something you would enjoy now as an adult, whether professionally or in leisure. But often, surprisingly often, you will see the roots of adult professional happiness in a leisure activity of a 10-year-old. Like, it's really fun to talk to people about that. Another question, and this is not a fun question, but it's the question, whom do you envy? Ooh. Envy is an unpleasant emotion. We often want to deny that we feel it. Right. But if you envy somebody, they have something 
that you want. And it's not the same thing as admiration because I can admire many people where I don't necessarily want what they have. I admire it, but I don't want it. Envy is like, I want that in kind of Mm. a painful way. Mm. Very instructive. Mm. And then the question is, what do you do? When you are free, when you are just doing stuff in the world, what do you do? So Mm. I would say for me, what did I do when I was 10 years old? I read incessantly incessantly i was like hermione granger i read all the time i didn't write all the time interestingly but i took huge amounts of notes i have books of quotations but that of mm. things that i would copy out back to like when i was nine years old and i just read all the time all fiction mm. interestingly now i write nonfiction. but so 10 years old has a lot really set the stage for me as a writer because as a writer it's very important that you have done a lot of reading Envy. There was a moment when I was clerking uh, for this on the Supreme Court where I was looking in my, you know how you get your like alumni bulletin? Yes. I, from Yale Law School alumni bulletin. And I was looking, no, it was my college, important, it was my college bulletin. And when I saw people that had cool law jobs, I was like, oh, that's nice. And then when I saw people who had interesting writing jobs, I felt sick with envy. I'm like, those are the people I envy, not the lawyers, even though I am a lawyer. And then what do you do? Like, what do you do? Like, what did I do in my free time? I was a lawyer. I was clerking. But in my free time at night and on the weekends, all I was doing was like incessantly research and taking notes about my subject, Power, Money, Fame, Sex, which became my first book. That's what I did. That's what I did when I was just, a, a, you know, like I have a friend who became a professional videographer because one of the things she did was she made this really amazing video for her children's kindergarten class just because mm-hmm. she she loved making videos mm-hmm. and she loved making videos so she made it so good and then somebody saw it and they were like oh i need a i need a little video can can i just hire you to do this video for me mm-hmm. and she was like sure that'd be fun and then so that's what she did you know mm. are you are you cooking are you like hosting events are you volunteering to do you know there's a lot of times clues in what you want to do and what you already do and then another Um, thing i would say is if you're sometimes people feel like they make a false choice it's i either like risk everything and drop what i'm doing right now mm -hmm. or i stay in the same place i am right now for the rest of my life and it's like okay can you can you make it less abrupt? Can you make it less risky? Can you learn? Can you do something on the side? There's a wonderful uh, podcast that my friend Chris Gillibo does called Side Hustle School. And a mm. lot of it is about making it easier to do a reinvention by doing something on the side. So mm. you still have your regular day job, but you're learning, you're gaining skills, you're mm-hmm. getting back to whether you really like it or not. Like you mm-hmm. might think you would love to be a wedding photographer, but actually it's super stressful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't want that. So you want to do something different. Um, mm-hmm. So a, setting up a side hustle is a way that you, you don't have to, you don't have to gamble everything on a reinvention. You can maybe learn uh, as you go. And that can make it a lot easier for people to imagine how it could come about. You know, yeah, maybe they need we the talk money, about that. Yeah, the security. They can't just like, you know, drop mic and reinvent. Right. For some people, that's not possible. Right. Exactly. Great. Gretchen, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Oh, it's so fun to talk to you as always. You are full of God. Talk about concrete tips. You're the most concrete tipper I've ever (laughs) talked to. I beg people for concrete tips. You're extraordinary. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. And let's just have the the name of your new book that's coming out so everybody can go grab it. And when does it, uh, when does it drop? It uh, published March 5th, 
March 5th, um, available Tuesday. everywhere. Uh, it's called Outer Order, Inner Calm. Declutter ah. and organize to make more room for happiness. And uh, you can find out about it. And if you go to my website, you can like read an excerpt or listen to an excerpt of the audiobook if you want to see if it's the right kind of thing for you. Fantastic. Wonderful, Gretchen. Thank you as always. You're a rock star. I so appreciate the tips and tricks. And we're going to find Side Hustle School. I did not know about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great stuff. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us at Reinvent Yourself. I hope that the conversation with Gretchen was inspiring as well as I hope you got some tips and tricks. I think she was very tippy and tricky. And if you enjoyed this podcast with her and me, I hope that you will uh, subscribe and I hope that you will also give us some stars again so that other people can find us. Please share, reinvent yourself with your friends who are trying to figure out what they're going to do next. We certainly have a wide range of ideas and inspiration. And now we're actually getting very much into tips and tricks and into process, which some women recently asked me for. And we can do that. Now we have some tips and tricks. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. And I hope you will listen to more of the podcast and join us at CoveyClub.com. Like our Facebook page at Covey Club. And also join us on Twitter and in Instagram. Take care.